Yes, Lord, we come to you now and we want to seek first your kingdom. We want you to be exalted in this place, you to be lifted up, you to be glorified. Lord, I pray that as I preach, you might increase and I might decrease. And your glory might be seen. Lord, take these simple words and make them live for your honor and glory and for the benefit and building up of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Timothy 4. We're going to be looking at verses 6 to 16. If you don't have a Bible, right in front of you, in the pew in front of you, there should be a pew Bible, and you can open it up to that passage. 1 Timothy 4, 6 to 16. Let me read the passage for you before we start. If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. So on a Sunday morning for the last four weeks, we've been doing a series called Pursuing Holiness. And we began in the very first week looking at, I, I, I posed the question, is there a hole in your holiness? And we We looked at some reasons why there might be a hole in your holiness. Then the next week, we looked at two redemptive truths and the redemptive pathway that we need to walk if we're going to pursue holiness. We saw that we have died with Christ, and therefore, we have a new potential, and we're new people. We saw that we're now indwelt by Christ, therefore, we have a new enablement to live for God. And we saw that the redemptive pathway that we need to walk is one of dependence on Christ, where we we live moment by moment depending on God, depending on Christ. Then last week, we saw how we journey further down that redemptive pathway, that we need to put to death sin in our body, we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and we need to put on Christ, we need to put on godly virtues. And that is the pathway to change, is that we put off we be renewed in our minds, and then we put on. But today, we're looking, my, my subject today is the habits of holiness. You see, as we walk the redemptive pathway, as we walk down that redemptive pathway, depending on Christ, putting off, being renewed in our minds, and putting on Christ, we have these habits, these spiritual disciplines, and they support us in that walk, in that walk down that redemptive pathway. You know, this week I found out from Pastor Brian, he was the first one who told me, that one of my seminary professors, Howard Hendricks, passed away this week. If you knew Howard, he was a, just an amazing man. I, I was in his class about 11 years ago when I went to Dallas Seminary in 2002. I did his Bible study methods class. And it was an amazing class. I mean, that guy taught me so much about how to study the Bible. And if, if you're enjoying any of the any of the, the teaching that I do today, a lot in part it is to his training and teaching me in Bible study methods. 
He really taught me how not just to drink from the well of other people, but really to build my own well and really be able to mine the scriptures for truth. He really, he really taught me that. And it was amazing to be in his class. But do you know what? He didn't just teach me that. Over his 50 years, they estimate that he taught 10,000 plus students how to, how to study the Bible. What a legacy. What a legacy. Some of his students have been people like uh, Chuck Swindoll, people like Joseph Stahl, people like Tony Evans, people who have gone on and made a real impact for God. You know, as I listened to how Howard passed on, it, it made me wonder, what type of legacy am I leaving in my life? And what type of legacy are you leaving in your life? I mean, here's a guy who's taught 10,000 plus students, whose students have gone on to do great things, all because he taught them one class, Bible study methods. What are you doing to make an impact? What type of legacy are you leaving? Maybe with your kids, or with the people around you, or in your church, the people who know you. You see, our legacy is largely dependent on the character of person that we are. And that's why the habits of holiness are so important. That's why spiritual disciplines are so important, because they put us in a place where we will depend upon Christ and actually change and produce Christ-likeness in our lives. So this morning, we're going to look at the practice of spiritual disciplines. What are they and what do they involve? Then we're going to look at the purpose of spiritual disciplines. And then we're going to look at the place of spiritual disciplines. So first, let's look at the practice of spiritual disciplines. What do they involve and what are they? Well, twice in our passage, Paul uses the term train. If you just look down in your Bibles, in verse 6, he talks about being trained in the words of faith. He says that Timothy has been trained in the words of faith. And then in verse 7, he says explicitly to Timothy, train yourself for godliness. So the spiritual disciplines involve training. Now, the word train, it comes from a Greek word, gymnazo. Now, what, what does that sound like to you, the word gymnazo? What does it sound like? Gymnasium. Gymnasium. Well, that's where we, in fact, get our English word gymnasium from, is from this Greek word, gymnazo. And the Greeks were very much into physical training. They, they, they were, of course, you know, ancient Greece was the birthplace of the Olympics. And so Paul, I think, as he sits down in his study and he's thinking of Timothy, this young pastor, who he, he says, you've got to pursue holiness, and he's, he's encouraging him to grow he says, train yourself, gymnazo, go into training. You need to train yourself for the purpose of godliness. So what does physical training or athletic training involve? Well, in a former life, I was a music teacher and I actually taught an Olympian. I actually taught a guy who competed in the 1988 Olympics. He got a silver medal in, I think it was rowing. And uh, he actually told me, all about the build-up to the Olympics for him. It was quite a remarkable thing. He, 
there was basically three things he had to do to prepare for the Olympics. First, he had a plan. He had a plan. He had a plan for how he worked out. He had a plan for what he ate. He had a plan for his whole life. He had a plan for what time he went to bed. He was very disciplined. He had a plan in place. Secondly, he followed through on that plan. He did the same thing day in, day out. It was his daily routine. And finally, he made his training his priority. I mean, he could miss out on many things in his life, but he did not miss out on the four hours of training that he did every single day. So he had a plan, he followed through on that plan, and he made it his priority. Now, just turning your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians 9, verses 25 to 26, Paul here once again picks up the athletic metaphor for our spiritual lives. He says in verse 25, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. So like my friend who was the Olympian who was training for the Olympics, he was exercising self-control. And he says, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. The reason why they do it is just for, for this perishable wreath at the time. That's what they would get if they would win a race. They would get this perishable wreath. Or, or nowadays, you just get this gold medal. But we know with time that even that were perishable. But here's, he says, he says, but we as Christians have something imperishable. The prize that we are looking for, the prize that we are aiming for is something imperishable. So, Paul says, because we have an even greater prize that you and I are looking for, so I do not run aimlessly, Paul says. In other words, I have a plan. Could that describe your spiritual life? That it's aimless. You pray when you feel like it. You have no method for how you read the Bible. You pick up this Christian book. You pick up that Christian book. It's just aimless. It's like Paul goes on to say, I do not box as one beating the air. Is that what your Christian life is like? It's just like a, a beating of the air. See, Paul says, no, that's not what it's like. He says, I do not run aimlessly. I have a plan. Look at what he goes on to say. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. I follow through on that plan. I keep my body under control and I follow through on the plan. And I do this, I make it a priority, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul has a plan. He follows through on that plan and he makes it his priority. What about you, do you have a plan? Do you follow through on that plan? And do you make it a priority? Who here thinks that Jesus is the most important thing? All right, that's a pretty high priority. Should he not be one of our highest priorities? If we think that. So... Spiritual discipline involves training. It involves having a plan, following through on that daily plan, and making it a priority in your life. You know, it surprises me so much. Like some of you are just getting so nervous when I'm talking about this because, you know, when it, like we found this at Subi, Pastor Graham and I, when it came to like just average life things, 
You know, if you go to university, guess what? You'll have a plan. You'll follow through on that plan to study. Maybe not very well at times, but you will. You'll follow through on that plan and you'll make it a priority. If you're a tradesman here and you build a house, you have a plan, you follow through on that plan, and then you make it a priority. You know, this is what we do in every other part of our life. But why, does it, why is it when it comes to our spiritual growth that we think it's any different? We don't have plans. And one of the things Howard Hendricks used to say in, in our classes, he used to challenge us about this. He used to do this thing where he would say, I'm reminiscing this week about Howard, if that's okay. He used to say, you know, you would ask a Christian, so how's your spiritual growth going? And they would go, I'm, I'm growing deep, brother. I'm growing deep. He used to do this thing with his nose. I don't know why he did that, but that's what he did. Growing deep, growing deep in my spiritual life. What are you specifically doing? Look, uh, like, just look at 1 Timothy 4. Like, Paul actually points out to Timothy specific things. Look in verse 12 of chapter 4. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Specific things. Things that he's tackling. I think, what do you think when Paul, when Timothy read that, what do you think he needed to do? He needed to set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So that's why at Oakton, every year, we ask you to write a real-life growth plan. Because you need to have a plan, you need to follow through on that plan, and you need to set it as a priority. Now, who's actually come to Oakton since I've been here? Put up your hand if you've come to Oakton since I've been here. All right. So a lot of you, okay. So when I first came here, you may not know this, but... In 2010, when I first came here, if you're new, we, um, we came and um, I, I can remember, um, I said this in the first service, that, that the, the church was ready for a change of vision. The church was ready for change. And, and I remember the first week I was here, Ian McDowell turned to me and he said, Timon, what's the vision for the church? And I was like, oh, I don't really know yet. <laughs> Am I supposed to know that? I didn't tell him that, but I don't, I don't, I don't know yet. But what we did for the next 10 months is we actually sought the Lord and prayed. If you, who was here? Do you remember what that was like? We went through a 10-month journey where we, we had days of prayer and fasting. We had prayer walks around the community. The small groups went. We, we had groups of people come together and talk about the, the future vision of the church. And eventually we came up with this vision. We want to gather. We want to grow. We want to give. We want to go. That's the vision of the church. But here's the thing. The vision of the church is not just something that we organize the church around corporately, that we corporately gather, we corporately want to grow, we corporately want to give, we corporately want to go. But these are the aspects that we want you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus to do. As a follower of Jesus, we want you to gather with other believers in one of our services to celebrate Jesus and to listen to what he says to you. We want you to grow to become like Jesus, personally engage in your own Bible study and prayer, and then meet in real life groups that will encourage you to do that. We want you to give and serve Jesus. We want you to actually serve Jesus using your spiritual gifts. Every single one of you, if you're a believer, has a spiritual gift 
which God has placed within you so that you will use for the benefit of other people. You know, this last week, I just was working on some of the leadership stuff of the church, and I was writing out who our various leaders are in the church, and I just came to this realization that this church runs on around about 100 people. We have around about 550 people coming to this church, but there's only really around about 100 who actually serve anywhere in the church. So you've been given a gift. Maybe it's to serve in the ministry of the church, or maybe it's to serve Jesus in other ministries. There's other great ministries out there in the Christian community, but God has given you a gift, and so we want to help you do that, and we want you to help you to go and share Jesus. You know what my evangelistic strategy is for Oakton? Get your finger and point it at yourself. You are the evangelistic strategy. We want to equip you to share the gospel with other people. And that's why coming up, this is going to be a fantastic thing, but coming up in May, we are going to have a month of go. I'm calling it the month of go. We're going to be studying. We're going to start a series next week in the book of Acts. And by the time we, we get to May in the book of Acts, we are going to be looking at boldness and how to be a bold witness for Jesus in the month of May. And this will be all leading up to, in the first weekend of June, having our Friends Sunday. And this year, I've got a big dream I've got a big dream. I'm hoping over the whole weekend in all three services that we get 800 people hearing the gospel. Who's with me? Who's with me? If you're with me, then we all need to be praying for our friends and family and seeking to invite them and encourage them along to hear about Jesus. So we gather, we grow, we give, and we go. Now, there are not only... Uh, the spiritual disciplines, that's our sort of paradigm, but there are historic spiritual disciplines. Let me show you some. Historic spiritual disciplines, what are they? Like inward spiritual disciplines, like prayer, Bible study, fasting. Fasting is going without food so that you can, you can symbolically recognize how dependent on God you are. I love Matthew 4.4 4 that says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every time that I've fasted, I've recognized that I am such a dependent creature that I need God for my very next breath. There's outward disciplines, as we've talked about, service, stewardship. Your giving is an outward spiritual discipline. When you give to the church, or maybe you, you bake a meal and you give it to someone else, that's an outward spiritual discipline. Evangelism is a spiritual discipline. Corporately, if you're here this morning, you're engaging in a spiritual discipline. You're hearing the word of God taught. You're being instructed and you're, you've come along to worship God. And confession with other people is a spiritual discipline. You know, some of the key moments in my spiritual growth have been when I've been bold enough and been moved by God to go to another Christian and to say, here's all my dirty laundry. Here it is. And do you know... That is real grace because once you confess that stuff to other people, it's like it's out in the light and they can assure you of God's forgiveness and God's grace. I think some of you, that would be the biggest breakthrough in your spiritual life. If you were bold enough, if God's moving you, 
convicting you of certain things, for you to go to someone you trust, maybe it's a pastor at the church or maybe it's a spiritual friend, you to write out the things that God's convicting you on and then you bring it to them and say, here it is. I want to confess before you all this stuff. Another corporate spiritual discipline is discipleship, walking with someone else, walking the Christian life, developing spiritual friendship with another believer. You know, as I look back on my Christian life, the thing that has made an impact on me has been the word of God as I've been taught it, but it also has been other Christians who have spoken the word of God to me when I needed it. Who's speaking into your life? Who's the person who knows you well enough that can pull you up and can tell you where, what you need to do at certain moments? Well, that's what the spiritual disciplines involve. They involve a plan. You follow through on that plan and you prioritize. And what are the spiritual disciplines? Well, they are the historic spiritual disciplines, but as a church, we're asking you to write a spiritual growth plan of gathering, growing, giving, and going. But now let's look at the purpose of spiritual disciplines. Just look in verse 7 again in your Bibles. Paul says, train yourself for godliness. So it's really quite simple. The purpose of spiritual discipline is to put yourself in a position where you can become a godly person. Now, as I've already said, I grew up playing violin. And I started violin in year five, but I didn't really progress at all in my violin until year seven. And that's because I think like most people learning an instrument, like it just seems so boring playing scales and exercises. And it seems so boring doing that every single day. Who's with me? Who found it boring playing exercises and scales when they're learning an instrument? It just seems so boring. But it all changed for me in year seven, and really my violin playing took off because I, I played in my very first Estedford. And Estedford is a, is a place where you go along to perform. And, and so I went to this first Estedford, and I was in the year under 12s category, but there was, um, uh, before our category, was the under 15s. And I saw this girl, Marilyn Bear, play. And Marilyn Bear, what a great name for a violinist, hey? Marilyn Bear, fantastic name. And she started playing and she could do things on the violin that were just phenomenal. I mean, her vibrato was just so amazing. She made it sing and and her fingers could move so quickly. And I was captivated by her playing and I wanted to be like her. And I found out after the end of the section that what Marilyn does every day is Marilyn practices for an hour every day in her room. And I thought to myself, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to practice for an hour and I will beat Marilyn Bear. (laughs) That's actually what I thought. (laughs) But, But here's the thing about that. Is you see, it was all boring to me, the exercises and all that sort of stuff because I hadn't seen the big picture of what it produced, that if you do those exercises, if you do those scales, you'll be able to become an amazing violin player who can play amazing music. And maybe in your Christian life, you haven't seen that Bible study, scripture memory, corporate worship, listening to sermons, actually put you in a place to become a godly person. Now, what 
is a godly person? What is someone who's godly like? I want to give you three characteristics of what I think a godly person is like. Here's the first characteristic. A godly person knows God. A godly person knows God. Now, a few months ago, my wife, Tegan, she went to the Australian Open, and she went there, and she got all these signatures like from players, like, you know, Roger Federer and all those tennis players. We've got this big ball at home with all the signatures on it. But my favorite story from the Australian Open is when she actually got Pat Rafter's signature. So there's her, and Michelle Hollis was there too, and there's her with, um, with, with, there's them with Pat Rafter. I don't know if you could see up the back. But you see, what was happening is they were in this the square. What's the square's name again? I've forgotten. Federation Square. They're in Federation Square, and Michelle was just... They were just having lunch, and then all of a sudden, Michelle saw Pat Rafter walking through Federation Square, and she came up to him, and she said, Pat, and he looked at her and went, like, am I supposed to know you? <laughs> and, then, and then she said, can we get a picture with you, Pat? And because I think he didn't want to, you know, he didn't want everyone to know who he was, he sort of said, yeah, come with me, come And so Tegan and Michelle followed him down to the player's entrance, and they got a picture with Pat Rafter. Pretty cool, hey? Pretty cool. But the thing is, is like while Michelle and Tegan know a lot about Pat Rafter, you know, they know that he's a professional tennis player, and they've met him. They know that he won, you know, the US Open. They don't really know Pat Rafter. I mean, it's not like Pat Rafter has... Tegan's phone number on his contacts in his iPhone. At least I hope he doesn't. (laughs) You see, Tegan and Michelle are really fans. They're not really friends. Just think about that for a second. How would you describe your relationship with God? Are you a fan where you know a lot about God? Or are you a friend? Do you really know the Lord? Know the Lord. I love Moses when he went up, when, he, when the Lord asked him one time what he wanted him to do for him. Moses said, teach me your ways, Lord, that I may know you. And it says at the end of the book of Deuteronomy that Moses was one who talked to God face to face. He knew the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Or do you come to this place and you join a whole heap of other fans and you sing a lot of songs and you get get really excited in this place, but you don't really know the Lord? See, the purpose of spiritual disciplines is so you'll cultivate intimate, deep knowledge of God, personal knowledge of God. The second characteristic of a godly person, I believe, is they love God. They know God and they love God. I mean, this is what the Christian life is all about, right? It's all you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The Christian life is not just about trying to produce good people who do good things. The Christian life, the the church, my whole purpose is about trying to get you fired up to love God. 
to love him. Now, your love for God increases as you know him. You can't really love someone you don't really know. I mean, you can love someone in a general way. You can say, I love you. But the more you actually know about that person and their attributes, the more you will actually love them as a person. I mean, Tegan and I have been married for 19 years now. So, And next month, we're going to be celebrating our 19th wedding anniversary. It's going to be awesome. We've been married for, for, for a long time. All right, fantastic. Thank you for the clap. That was good. That was really revolutionary there. <laughs> Love it. All right. But... Um, but we've been married for 19 years, and imagine what it would be like if on our anniversary, in a month's time, I take her out to, you know, somewhere really fancy, Lakeside Cafe. <laughs> and I look across at Tegan, and I'm like, I love you because, like, 19 years ago, you chose to marry me. You, I was so single, and you saved me from my singleness. You made a decision to marry me. Thank you, darling. I mean, like, that would be okay, right? But it would be nothing like this. Tegan, I love you because I love your laugh. If you know my wife, she has an infectious laugh that just lights up a room. I love you because you're real. You're not this religious person, and you won't let me get away with religion either. You cut to the chase, you're real. I love you because you're a great mother and you're a great wife. And I love you because we've been through so much through the last 19 years. But as we've walked together, you've stuck in there. You've you've stayed there right with me. I love you because I know you. And you know me. You see, many of us, our love for God begins and ends at our conversion And we should never get past our conversion. We should thank God every day that he did save us. But as we walk with him, as we journey with him, we'll grow to know him and we'll grow to know at depth what the cross means for us and what the gospel means for us every single day. So do you want to be people who just have this knowledge of God that's just starts and ends at your conversion? Or do you want to be a person who presses on, as Paul says, to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me? I want to press on. I want to say this year is going to be the best year that I've ever had with God. God, I want to know you more this year. I want to worship you more this year. I want to serve you more this year. Teach me more of your word this year, Lord. Grow me this year. Lord, help me use my life to leave a legacy in more ways this year. You know, one of the things about Howard Hendricks that I loved, so I I met, like, he was 89 when he died last week. I met him when he was, like, 88, 11 years ago. And he was not a stagnating Christian. 78, sorry. (laughs) I'm a musician. Don't do math. (laughs) But I met him at that age and... Still at that age, he was like, I'm going to press on. He was writing goals for his spiritual life. He was still studying the Bible for an hour every day. He was saying, there are things that I don't know yet about God that I want to learn. Shame on you if you've given up. 
If you just think you're going to limp in over the finishing line, come on, come on, get up and run. Run over the finishing line. Finish the good fight of faith. Be able to say like the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race that has been marked out before me and for me. Be that type of Christian. I love it. My, my, my uncle, his father passed away a couple of years ago. And they were searching through his things, you know, as you do when someone passes away and to, to fix up his affairs. And they came across his Bible. And in his Bible was a sermon that he had written that week. Because he went to a brethren church and you know, every now and again you might get the opportunity to preach, right, in a brethren church. And so he'd written a sermon just in case God stirred him to get up and preach the week before he died. Let's be people like that who just have a burning passion, a love for God. Do you love God? Love Him. Love Him. You love Him as you grow in knowledge about Him. That's why you need these spiritual disciplines because they'll put you in a place to know Him and to love Him. I mean, when you come in on Sunday and you sing these great songs that we sing Is your heart prepared? Well, your heart will be prepared if you're walking with him. When you sung this morning about Jesus being the first and the last in your life, you could sing that because whole whole week long you've been worshiping him and thanking him for his everlastingness. Now, that's the beauty of our God, that he is eternal, that he doesn't faint. Who here grows weary? Who here grows weary, grows tired? Do you know what it says about God? He doesn't grow tired. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. He doesn't sleep like the rest of us need sleep. He doesn't need that stuff, no. And that is why those who wait upon the Lord, He will renew their strength. But how are you going to know that? And how are you going to exercise that type of faith unless you know Him and you love Him? So godliness is about knowing the Lord. Godliness is about loving the Lord. And here's my third point. Godliness is about living for the Lord. A godly person has their whole life focused on God. They live their whole life focused on God and around God. Just as in our solar system, our whole, all the planets orbit around the sun, for a godly person... Their whole life orbits around God. Their leisure time, the way that they use their tongue, the way that they use their money, the way that they use, the way that they manage their relationships, it all orbits around God. They're focused on Him. They live a God focused life. So, what's your life focused around? You know, I read a beautiful book many years ago, called The Practice of the Presence of God. Who's read that book? By Brother brother Lawrence, I think it is. He read that book. Talk about a God-focused life. It's just his diary. I don't think he actually wrote it, but they put together this book. It's a great book for you to, 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 to read sometime, but it's, it's all about someone who determined that every moment they were going to live in the presence of God, that they were going to have constant communion with God, 
living a God-focused life. That's what a godly person's like. While they're talking to you, they're talking to the Father on your behalf. Now, isn't that beautiful? Don't you want to be that type of person who knows God, not just a fan, but knows God, who loves God, and who's focused on God? Well, spiritual disciplines put us in that place. Now, you might say, okay, Timon, I get it. Let me just move this away because I just want, I want you to really think right now as we sort of continue in this teaching. You might think, okay, so I want you to look at this, look at this formula right here. Okay, I get it, Timon. Can you put up the next slide? So spiritual disciplines, therefore, result in and are equal to godliness. You might say, okay, I'm really motivated. You've been motivating me, Timon. And that means that if I have a quiet time every single day, that's going to result in an equal godliness. I want you to know that that's not exactly what I'm saying here this morning. It's close, but if you follow that, you will head down a dangerous detour. So we've looked at the practice of spiritual disciplines. We've looked at the purpose of spiritual disciplines. Now let's look at the place of spiritual disciplines. You see, spiritual disciplines are not the same as legalism. Many of you, as I've been talking about spiritual disciplines, have been getting really nervous because you're worried about legalism. Kent Hughes, he's got an excellent book called... um, the Pursuit of Godliness. Oh, no, it's not The Pursuit of Godliness. It's, um... yeah, Attributes of a Godly Man. I just forgot. But in that book, he writes this. He says, For many, spiritual discipline means putting oneself back under the law with a series of draconian rules which no one can live up to, which spawn frustration and spiritual death. And maybe you can relate to that, is that all this talk about spiritual discipline is making you feel nervous. And I know... It's so easy to, to make people feel convic- convicted about spiritual disciplines because I could just easily ask you a question. Who here thinks that they're kicking it out of the park in their prayer life? Put up your hand. Okay. Who here doesn't think they're kicking it out of the park in their prayer life and could use some work? All right. So it's very easy to feel very guilty when it comes to spiritual disciplines. But this formula, let's just put the formula up again is not right. You see, in and of itself, spiritual discipline does not result in godliness. And in and of itself, spiritual discipline is not equal to godliness. Just because you have a quiet time each day does not mean that you will grow into a person who loves God and knows God and lives for God. You know, I've known many Christians who just do their daily bread, and daily bread is a fantastic tool, but they just do it every day in order to avoid God, to get God off their back. Many other Christians, they give their tithe every week so that they can sort of pay God off, so they have done their religious duty so that they can get God off their back. You see, we shouldn't be motivated to do spiritual disciplines because we're trying to earn some sort of merit with God. We've already received his grace. Look in verse 10 in chapter 4. Paul says this, For to this end we toil and strive. The word toil means work to the point of exhaustion. We toil and strive 
because we have our hope set on the living God who is the saviour of all people, especially those who believe. It's because we have the gospel, because we've received grace, that we now toil and strive. And further, spiritual disciplines will not necessarily make you in and of themselves a person who loves God and who knows God and who lives for God. Do you know, sadly, I've known many religious people who can tick all the right boxes, but you would not say from the definition that I've given you that they are a godly person. The Pharisees, remember, they tithed even their spice rack. These guys were very, very disciplined. But yet Jesus said, you're like washed tombs. You have no spiritual life in you at all. And so, man, I don't want us to be that type of place where we have all this outward activity but no inward reality. So what is the place of spiritual disciplines? Well, get this. You've got to get this. This is really got to be, this penny has got to drop in your thinking that spiritual disciplines, they put us in a place to receive God's transforming grace. You see, it's not spiritual disciplines in and of themselves that make us godly or that produce godliness in us. It is actually God's grace, but spiritual disciplines put us in a place where we can receive God's grace. Now, this should be no surprise to us. Because what did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the way that we know God is through Jesus. The way that we have our love and our passion for God stirred up is by looking at what Jesus has done and what he's doing for us in our lives. And the way that we actually live for God is because we see how much it took, like the the nails in his hands and, and out of gratitude for the fact that he died for us, we determined to live for him. So you see, spiritual disciplines about about putting you in a place where you receive that transforming grace so that just as by grace you are saved, so by grace you are transformed. I want you to just look at this passage, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. Look at this amazing passage. Paul says in this passage, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's within me. So Paul says, out of everyone in the apostolic ministry, I'm working hard. I'm working harder than anyone. But guess what? It's not me who's working. It's the grace of God working in me. Where did Paul receive that grace? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. He's receiving the renewing of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. You see, spiritual disciplines put you in that place where you can receive God's grace so you can grow. And so that's why in the history of the church, spiritual disciplines have been called the means of grace. 
They are things that you do, but you do them not so that in and of themselves you become godly, but you do them so you receive from God his grace. So you put yourself in that place. See, if you get up every morning, right, and you pray and you seek the Lord, you're going to be putting yourself in a place where he can speak to you. If you determine that you're going to read your Bible every day, You'll be putting yourself in a place where the word of God will come alive to you and convict you of various things that you need to change. And so are you putting yourself in that place? It's sort of a little bit like, you know, you have a riverbed and you need to put yourself in the riverbed if you're going to get wet. All right? And when the water comes down, it's going to be wet because you're in the riverbed. But I'm afraid for you. And you know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid that some of you just stand on the bank and you do get wet at times, but it's because the river is so swelling up that it gushes over the banks and it hits you. And you're moved. And God speaks to you. But I want you to to, to go into the riverbed and put yourself in that place where you can experience more of God's grace and therefore be transformed by him. So we've talked today about the practice of spiritual disciplines. You need a plan. You need to follow through on that plan and you need to make it a priority in your life. Please make it a priority. Secondly, we've talked about the purpose of spiritual disciplines They put us in a place. Do you remember I was saying that very carefully? They put us in a place where we can become godly, where we can become a person who knows God, who loves God, who lives for God, who lives a God-focused life. And the place of spiritual disciplines is they put us in a place to receive God's amazing, transforming grace. Now, here's the thing about Howard Hendricks. I want to leave, I want to finish right here. So never forget... In the very last lecture, he looked us in the eyes and he talked to us and he challenged us. He said, guys, he said, most pastors and most Christians are not wells. They drink from other people's wells. He said, if you want to be a faithful shepherd of God's people, you need to dig your own well. You need to dig your own well. He said, what I did is when I was in my 30s, he said, I was challenged to study the Bible one hour every day. And that has really, he said, made him into the person that he is. See, look at, look at your text. Train yourself. Train yourself. Unfortunately, I can't get together with you every morning, every single one of you, get you out of bed at 6 a.m., pray with you and teach you the Bible every morning. You're going to need to be the one who comes up with your own plan and puts yourself in that place. So let's be a church. Who wants to be a church of people who don't stagnate this year? I want to be a church that says, we're going we're to press on. Lord, I want to know you, I want to love you more, and I want to live for you. We're going to sing a song right now that really expresses that heart. 
So let's stand together as we sing, and I'm going to pray. So let's stand up all together. Come on. Lord, may the glory of your name be the passion of this church. We're really crying out to God. Lord, we want to put ourselves in that place to receive your transforming grace and be the people that you want us to be. Let me pray for us all. Father, I pray for us all here in this room, Father. Lord, just as we were saved by grace, we are transformed by your enabling grace. But you have commanded us in your scriptures, in response to your grace, to train ourselves for godliness. And I pray, Father, that Oakton Baptist Church would be known as a church full of people who know the Lord, who love the Lord, and who serve and live for the Lord in their lives, who are God-focused. Just put up your hand if you really want to want to be God-focused this year. Put your hand to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, let's sing this song. The last verse talks about our passing life is over. When you sing that, just think about Howard Hendricks. His, his journey is gone and your journey is going to be gone. And what do you want it to be like when you meet Jesus? Let's sing together. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. Again, if you would like any information about the life at OBC, please go to our website at www.obc.org.au.